Bravo, man. Oh, thank you, Janelle. She's got extra clap, two, two extra claps in there. Thank you. Yeah, fantastic. Well, it's good to have you in the house of God. Why don't you get your Bibles ready? And um, Janelle, please stop sucking up to the pastor. Thank you. She's got a new pastor now. She down in Hamilton. Um, but she wants to get brownie points of this one. Fantastic. They get married in uh, May. Woohoo! Some of you go, woohoo! Married in May. Nice. I, I was married in March. Um, I probably should have worked it out beforehand. March a couple of years ago, uh, eight years ago. And um, yep, I've made our marriage what it is today just a flourishing, thriving union before God. So that's why I got two chocolates before. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, it's good to have you out this morning. I'm ready and I'm willing and I'm excited to be a part of this part of the service because I just feel that God's got his hand on it. Um, I've been preparing for a while to talk on this subject and this theme this morning because it is Vision Month for us as a church. And and it's a time every year where I am leading up to it. I, I take some time towards the end of the year prior and um, previous to, to this time. And uh, I get with God and I just say, God, what's our focus for the next 12 months? How can we best prepare ourselves to align ourselves to what you're doing in the earth? And, and speak to me, Lord, speak to our leaders, speak to our church so that, Father, we can come closer to you. Amen? Because how many of you know, I've been saying this again and again, especially in our prayer meetings, that times of prayer and times of, of pushing into God is not about moving and an inactive God. It's not about moving a hesitant God who's reluctant to move on your part. He's waiting for you to meet certain criteria. That's not why we pray. That's not why we, we come to church. That's not why we push into God. The reason we do those things is because He's a, he's a very willing and able God who's, who's ever ready to, to work with us. In fact, He's incredibly patient in working with us. He's very active. In fact, he's very purposeful, and he's moving a lot throughout the earth, and prayer helps us align with what God's doing. And so if you want to know more about what God's doing in your own life, you, you commit to a lifestyle of prayer. I mean, a lifestyle of pushing into God. Anyway, getting to this point is a, is a matter of me searching into God and asking God, what is it that we focus on? How can we best align ourselves to what you're doing and what you're saying? And so this message is a result of that. I want to bring to light, I want to pray in a moment, but I bring to light two, two words, mission and vision. Mission and vision. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. It's such a privilege to share your word and, and Lord, be a part of um, a church. And so, God, who, who's following hard after you, who has vision and mission, and Father, I pray that you bless this environment for your purpose and for your glory and align us to what you're doing. God, we want to align ourselves to what you're doing spiritually in the earth today. And Father, I thank you for your anointing that allows us to receive your word and cause it to take root so we can flourish and your kingdom can be established for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk to those two words for a moment. I want to expand on them. We'll go to a few scriptures. But you ready, church? Let's do it. The first word is mission. Mission is that which identifies our central, steadfast, and non-negotiable task. That which identifies our central, 
steadfast, so enduring and non-negotiable task. That's the mission. And then we have vision. Who got mission written down? Those taking notes? Vision. Vision sees with the eyes of faith how we can turn the vision into reality. Vision sees with the eyes of faith how we can turn the vision into reality. So mission is that which identifies our central, steadfast, and non-negotiable task. And vision sees with the eyes of faith how we can turn the vision into reality. See, it's our default setting. It's our default setting to desire a future that's the same or, or a little better than what, we've, what we see around us or what's gone before us. It's our default setting to, to aspire to something a little better or even the same than what we have around us or what we've seen go before us. That's our default setting. But when you have Christ as Lord of your life, what you then say is, what you then ask is, God, now that you're a part of my life, would you help me believe for what you have for my life? Help me believe for the future you have for me. Amen? So, so the difference is now that you have Christ as Lord, you say, God, for the vision for our family, let us see with the eyes of faith what you see for us. Because you can have an expectation for yourself, but God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Amen? And so now that you have Christ as Lord of your life, part of your vision is, God, help us see what you see for us. And I'll talk quite strongly on vision in a moment. Mission, mission identifies what we are doing or what we should be attempting. Vision focuses on what we need to become in order to see that vision realized. I want to talk on mission for a second. Mission identifies what we are doing or what we should be attempting. Now, we have quite a strong mission statement as a church that I, I love and I'm really passionate about. is reaching all generations and building for future generations. Who's seen that before, heard that before around the place? It's, it's, it's actually up there. Yeah, there. How clever is that? I just organized that. You're welcome. Reaching all generations and building for future generations. That that's our that's our mission as a church. That helps us keep 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 ourselves that helps keep ourselves aligned and identifies what we we are doing and what we're attempting to do is reaching all generations and building for future generations. I love the two thoughts in there. Reaching and building. Those words inspire me. Those words identify the values of this church. We always reach out. We're looking to reach wider um, to, to, to people. We're constantly reaching wider and we're reaching deeper in God. Amen. We're a church that is looking as much as possible individually and corporately. We're reaching wider and we're reaching deeper in God. Wider and reaching as many people as possible and reaching deeper in God. Good amen in that. And we have a mind to build. We reach and we build. We've got a mind to build. As much as it's tempting to have a lottery mentality with God. And sometimes it's nice to let your mind go that way. But I really believe that God wants us to have a mind to build. And by His grace, 
He chooses to come along at times and speed it up and, and just shortcut some processes. And, and by His grace, He does that. But as a people of God serving the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a mind to build and work for He's with us. Amen? Haggai chapter 2 verse 4 is a good reference there where God says, um, Be strong, all you people, and work, for I'm with you. And so we have a mind to build because Christ is with us. It's important, let's talk about vision for a second. It's important that vision is owned as personal, so that everybody that, that you talk to owns a vision of some sort. It's important that vision is owned as personal, but not as, a, as an untouchable possession. It's important that vision is owned as personable, personal, but not as an untouchable possession. You see, you can, you, you can find people who get so caught up in their vision that not even God can touch it. And so vision, it's great to own a vision for your life, for the kingdom of God, for the church, for people, for your family, but not so much. I remember a couple of years ago, a good sort of three or so years ago, I, there's a vision in my heart for something to do, like for our family. And, and I remember just wrestling with God at the time because this is one thought that God really challenged me on. He says, it's great that you, that you have it as personal, but you possess it and I can't touch it. <laughs> and those are those awkward moments when you realize, oh, I could have done that better. And I, I just really had to say, God, I, I'll be happy whether I achieve this vision or not. I'll be happy, I'll be satisfied with you if I achieve this vision or not. And, and that, that was a conversation, but it took a journey to really be that way. You know, somebody get what I'm saying? It was a conversation with God, but it really took a journey for me to actually be that way. Now, I, I, I sense in that area of my life, I'm actually being that way. I, I can, if I achieve that or not, it's something I possess, but it's not untouchable. If God says, actually, I'd like to do this, but it doesn't include that vision that you started with, I'd be happy. You get the analogy there. It's important that vision is owned as personable, but not as an untouchable possession. Your vision is secondary to what Christ desires of you. And your vision, you've got to realize your vision for your life, for your church, for your marriage, for your business, is only achieved by the resource and the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that a right, church? You've got to realize that your vision, our vision, is only achieved. Reaching all generations and building for future generations, that mission even, is only achieved by the resource and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our greatest ally is the Holy Spirit, is who, is who Jesus sent to help us. Amen? So our greatest ally in this life, who you to build the greatest relationship with, is the Holy Spirit. Before pursuing a vision, to build a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Bill Hybels on vision says this. It's a picture of the future that produces passion. I like that because the visions I have in my life for our church, for our marriage, our family, for, for business, for work, for finances, the vision I have produces a passion inside of me. Who finds that? 
It produces a passion inside of me, and it's stirring. It's, it's sustaining. I love it. And it reminds me of, of how much I need to change to see that realized. That's what vision does inside of you. It reminds you how much you need to change and continue to change. Come on, if you've got a mission, if you've got a vision for your family, for your marriage, for your relationships around you, for your career, for your physical health, let your vision constantly remind you how much change is required in you. Amen? We're going to get to Scripture soon. We're setting a platform that we can really bounce off here. So let vision remind you, as much as it's a passion, don't blindly or recklessly pursue it without reminding yourself that change is constantly required to see a vision realized. Amen, church. One of the essential elements to seeing a vision realized is this, values. Someone say values. One of the essential elements to seeing a vision realized is values. Who's ever heard me say that we have a mind to build as a church? Yeah? Two. Hallelujah. This mic working most Sundays, Roy? Who's ever heard me say we have a mind to build? That's a value we have as a church, that we value the fact that God is a builder. He's called us to build. And so we have the value that of, of building. This is a value of ours. Values are the, key, are, the, are the things that keep us on course day to day. You see, there are many temptations that want to take us away from realizing our vision. But what values do is keep us, keep the parameters fixed, secure. Keeps the boundaries, the bumper bars. Who's ever played bowls with those bumper bars up? Dave, Matt. Ted, yeah, Daly, just name a few people, testify, guys, come on. Have you ever played bowls with that on? No matter how you throw it, that ball gets down and hits a couple of pins, yeah? And that's what values do for us. It puts the bumper bars up so that when there's temptation to sway to the left and sway to the right, to compromise, your values say, hey, come on, remember, we've got a mind to build, Amen. We've got, a, we've got a heart to honor people. We've got a heart to be generous. Those values keep you on track to see a vision. And it's vision month for us. And so what's important for me to talk about is our values. Because our values from week to week, day to day in your personal life and our corporate life as a church, our values, for come on, in the same areas that you're looking, that you have a vision for, maybe it's marriage, business, all those areas I mentioned, family, with your kids, if you've got a vision there, be strong on values. I see a lot of people harking on on vision, 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 but if you scratch a little below the surface, very weak values or ever-changing values. Come on, that's not the church we want to be, amen? That's the, 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 what gives us substance, what en- enables us to maintain until we see a vision realized is the values we set in place. And so I want to encourage you, for your own life, set the values. Set values. Is that a right, church? Set strong values for your life. It's easy to make grand commitments before God in the presence of God. Lord, I'm going to give you my life. and Lord, I'll do whatever you say. God, I'm going to 
give resource until I have none, and I'm going to cook meals for people until they're really obese, and make grand commitments before God. But nobody, the, but the thing is, very few walk out of a, a moment like that and say, okay, what are the values that are going to sustain me? Come on, what do I need to put in place so that I can be consistent and see something realized at the end of all my efforts? Amen? And so with all our grand commitments and declarations, let's make a commitment to some really core values. Amen, church? Why don't you turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18? And who's got an amplified Bible in the house of God today? All those with electronic Bibles say a good amen. Hallelujah. First, I'll read it from the um, Proverbs 29, 18 from the NASB. <laughs> Don't laugh, AJ's church, all right? Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. The NIV says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Um, the Proverbs 29.18 in the Amplified Bible reads like this. Where there is no vision, no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. But he who keeps the law of God, which includes that of man, blessed, happy, fortunate, and enviable is he. Let me read the first part of that again and expand on it for you. Where there is no vision, no redemptive revelation of God. Now, if you look at me for a second, what's often the case is that, like I say, it's, it's tempting and, and quite alluring to have a lottery mentality with God. God, I'm going to pray a few prayers, hit a couple of offerings, and it's going to roll my way. Yeah? Uh, or I'm going to do what that person did and I'm going to get the same results. It's easy to get that because God's so good, and it's easy to get caught up in the greatness of God. And when we read scriptures like where there's no vision, the people perish or they cast off restraint, when we read those things, it's often say, it's easy for us to say, okay, let's get a dream for my life. Let's get a vision for my life. But actually, the, the more accurate translation is found in the Amplified Bible where it says where there's no vision, no redemptive, revelation of God. You see, what's, what's really tempting is to say, I'm going to get a vision and God, please bless it. And when you do, I'll help you out with your kingdom. Somebody with me, there's a few awkward giggles in the room. <laughs> there's a few awkward, God, I've got this vision. If you help me out and you bless me, I'm sure to help your kingdom out. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah? But you see, this is what God's saying in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Where there is no vision, no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. See, what God's wanting you to get above a vision for your own life and for what you can do for Him is get an idea, get a vision of what He's doing in the earth to redeem people. That, that's what God's wanting you to get above all else. See, your vision for your life is not bad. 
I'm not speaking against you having a vision to, to grow something or have health in some area of your life or, or to establish something for another generation. I'm not speaking against that. I'm saying before that, that comes out of God. I want a vision to, um, to align myself with the redemptive plan you have for the earth. That's what He wants you to have first and foremost for your life, church. And so when there's not that, the people perish. Somebody with me today. When there's not that, the people perish. Where there's no vision, no redemptive revelation of God. Where there's no redemptive revelation of God. God, I know you're redeeming something in the earth. I want to be a part of that. I want to see people's lives changed and transformed. Friend, that's where it starts. And, and out of that, the overflow and a result of that is a personal revelation and vision for our family, for our work, our career, our health, our fitness, our well-being, the next generation. That flows out of the first revelation, the first vision. Is that all right, church? And so I can stand up here and get us excited about a whole lot of stuff, but I feel from, from the Word of God, from the teaching of God, that we need to get a vision of His redemptive purposes in the earth. What we can do to advance the kingdom of God in the earth. Amen. Is there a good amen this morning? You see, the other, um, other in the New American Standard Bible, it says, where there's no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. This is what happens when you have a vision. Is when there's a vision... You, you put on restraints. You want to run a marathon. You've got a vision to maybe hit a health goal or a weight loss goal. You, you want to um, build a business or a career to a certain level. You want to, you have a vision to have a, grow your, your child in a certain way. You have a vision. But you and I both know without restraints, that vision is never realized. Part of the restraints we spoke about is values. Amen. But, but, as you, but what you constantly realize is as you progress in the vision, you, you keep adding on restraints as you realize more of the vision. Amen? So as you continue on, you think, this part of the vision, where I am right now, requires a fresh level of restraint. Is somebody with me? And the Word of God says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. And that's where we perish. That's where we wander. That's where we waste resources. That's where we lack results is where we're unrestrained. Restrained. See, friend, I want, I want you to realize today, if you have a vision for your life, get with God. What faith says is, God, now that I have you as the Lord of my life, what restraints do I put on to see the vision realized? What restraints do I put on to see the vision realized? Is somebody with me today? So I've shared with you today that Generations Church's mission, that which identifies our central, steadfast, non-negotiable task, our mission is reaching all generations and building for future generations. But I want to talk about our vision for the next 12 months. Is that a right, church? I want to talk about our vision for the next 12 months. What do we need to put restraints around? What do we need to know the values so that we can keep, the, keep our restraints that keep us on target? What is the vision for the next 12 months? For the next 12 months, we have a vision to increase numbers in two key areas or two key categories 
that enable us to effectively be on mission, that enable us to effectively reach and build, which is our mission. Category one, where we want to increase numbers, is we will increase in number as a church, and specifically, we will increase the number of people who have a vision and a plan to live on mission. So not just more bums on seats, but increase the number of people who are maturing in God, coming to know God, maturing in God, and in realizing that they can have a mission or plan to live on mission. Amen? So that's what we want to do as a church over the next 12 months. We want to increase the number of people that we're ministering to on a regular basis who are getting a plan and a vision for their lives to live on mission. Does that sound okay with you, church? That's what we've we've got a vision for over the next 12 months. The second category is we will increase through good stewardship and biblical generosity the resource base of our church to enable our church to sustainably reach all generations and build for future generations. I'll say that again. We will increase through good stewardship and biblical generosity the resource base of our church to enable our church to sustainably reach all generations and build for future generations. That sound inspiring to anybody here. I, when, when, I, when, I, when I write these things down, I'm thinking of the best interests of us as a church for the sake of mission. Amen? And so I think these two areas, if we, over the next 12 months, say corporately and individually, God, how can we best be a part of this? I think we can see something great established for the kingdom of God in 2013. What do you reckon, church? Yeah? So these two areas will increase in number as a church, and specifically we will increase the number of people who have a vision and a plan to live on mission, and we'll increase through good stewardship and biblical generosity the resource base of our church to enable us to, to live, to, to be sustainably on mission. Amen? Now, let's, let's move on for a moment. Possibly one of the best-kept secrets in the church today is that there's more than one way to be on mission. And there's a lot of, there can be a lot of condemnation around this. Because somebody like me, or somebody like Roz, can make evangelism or being on mission look like one certain way. Like, Roz inspires me. She gets people in the home, she shares the gospel, and then she goes and does arts at the back end of that. That would just freak me out. Right? Don't freak anybody else out, just gathering a whole lot of randoms in your house and taking them, sharing the gospel, and then doing art with them. Right? So that's easy for, for some people. But for other people, that's not so easy. And it's easy to be condemned by that type or feel condemnation come on you by somebody's else, somebody else's mission. Yeah? But that's not what God wants, and that's not what the Bible teaches. I want to present to you five ways that you can be on mission. I think regardless of your, your personality, regardless of your upbringing or what you feel is right before God, you can be on mission for God, and it doesn't need to look like somebody else's mission for God. Come on, is that good, good news to somebody here today? I've got five ways that you can be on mission for God, and they're all biblical, 
And over the coming weeks, I want to take time to unpack them so that we can understand them better. But today, I want to present them to you. Here are five ways that you can be on mission for God. The first way is through prayer. Some people, it comes naturally. Maybe they spend ages in prayer, or or they're just constant in prayer, fervent, effectual prayer. And when those people are praying, the church moves forward. Tough stuff is, is shifted. People feel better about themselves when those people are praying. But if those people feel condemned because they're not a Roz or, or they're not a Byron who stands up the front and yells at people, I knew you thought that. I knew it. Those people can, are validated in being on mission through prayer. Amen? Let's talk about more. Godly behavior. Godly behavior is another way that you can be on mission. It may not look like me. It may not look like somebody else. But godly behavior is Hannah. It's just, uh, for eight years, she's been trying to find fault so that we can have a real fight about her issues. But I just keep landing on my issues, church. Pray for me. But godly behavior is, some people, that's just naturally, they're just... Some people have integrity, but these people have like sterling, annoying integrity. These people are polished, and when you scratch beneath the surface, they just look even better. They, I, you know what I'm talking about. They just annoy me. No, 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 I love them. But those people, they, it's, it's valid for them to know from a day-to-day basis they are living on mission by flowing in that natural brilliance on their life. And the Bible validates it as as them being on mission. The third area is financial supporters. I can go from person to person, cover to cover, about people who are just um, gifted in the Bible. And through the ages, gifted, what they do just generates finances. They are equally as annoying. Just, they they think about it, and they just think, I'm going to try that. And they go in, and they try that. And it makes money. And then they support the kingdom of God. They send the gospel out. And those people can feel condemned because they're doing worldly activity to produce worldly money. But friend, they need to be reminded and told it's biblical that their activity is mission. Them sending out the gospel and strength is mission. And they're and they right to work hard 40, 50, 60 hours a week, working hard, loving God, building the church, having a mind to build and sending the gospel out. Those people are valid part of ministry and mission. Amen? The fourth place is public praise of God. Some people are just constantly vocal. And the Bible says, sing his praises to all the earth, make him known through the generations. And some people are just good like that. Some people, I feel awkward just bringing out the lines like the glory of God and the grace of God. But these people just do it and their lives are aligned with worship to God. And they stand up the front in church and they lead us in, in worship and, and they lead Christian communities in worship. And, and they need to know it's fine. That they don't need to go stand on a crate box in a street corner to be on mission. Or go to Africa and India and those places will bless you. But they don't need to go there to feel like they are on mission. 
Amen? And then the fifth thing is answering people's questions about faith and hope and Jesus Christ. Some people are just graced to do so in, in a winsome way or, or, and, and, and a clever way and an accurate way. They're able to understand biblical truths and apply it to people who are searching, generally searching. And, and that's a valid way of being on mission. You might be um, employed somewhere. You may be full-time on church. and Whatever it is, if you're someone who can understand the Scriptures, understand a relationship with Jesus Christ and what the Bible is about, and you're able to present that in a, in a, in a, in a loving and, and a way, in a humility, and friend, you can live on mission that way. I've just given you five ways real quickly. And then over the weeks and through the year, I'll, I'll expand on these and show you how much the Bible puts weight behind every one of these missionaries. The prayer, the, the, the one with, with righteousness and godly behavior, the, the financial supporters, the, the praisers and the worshipers, those who give answers for the faith. The Bible puts great weight behind those missionaries. All right? And so there's more than one way to live on mission for God. The, and the important thing with all of those things, this is what you have to remember. It's exciting to hear those things, those things that validate us and make us feel like, yep, yeah, I can live for God no matter what I'm doing in life. But the important thing to remember is that these things lead to sharing the gospel. They are not a substitute for sharing the gospel. Amen? They lead to sharing the gospel and leading people to Jesus Christ. They are not a substitute. So if a farmer constantly sowed seed and never harvested, we would look at that farmer and say, irresponsible, bad farmer. If I did everything to get the soil ready, plant the seed, look after the crop, and then walked away from it. I'm an irresponsible farmer. Are you with me, church? And so those things lead to a gospel presentation where, somebody, where you can offer somebody opportunity to make a decision in this life for Jesus Christ. But that lifestyle of being on mission is not a substitute for harvesting. You understand me, church? And so it's really important to understand this because um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'll bring this message to a close. Matt, why don't you come and Elizabeth will take those last notes for you and you can have a chat about them when you get home and she can harvest you. And Fantastic. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that happens. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. This is what it says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive what is due him for the things while done in the body. Whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord we try and persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. I think I like what he says here is that 
He puts to us that whether you know Christ in this life or not, He says we're all going to stand before God one day and give account for what we did in this body. For the mission we lived or didn't live. See, friend, if, if your mission is praying and, and you feel a grace in that and the church has advanced through that, people are strengthened through that and you don't, you'll give an account for that before God. We will give an account for everything done in this life, in this body. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16 Paul says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You know what I find interesting about that passage of Scripture? Is that often people won't live on mission because they've got their ticket into heaven. And then every now and again they're reminded to live for somebody else, to live on mission for somebody else. And they'll do it out of pity for that person or those, that group of people because one day they'll live in eternity without Christ. And they'll do it for as long as the pity lasts and then they'll get caught up in their own life. But this is what Paul says. He says, woe to me if I do not share the gospel. You know what he does? He says, before I even think about their fate, I think about mine before God. Before I even think and measure up that one day they will stand before God and give an account for their life and decisions, I think first about me standing before God and giving an account of my life and what I did for God. You see, I love that. Because that's what God calls of you first. You, your relationship with Him, you living on mission, and then going out and living for others so that they can know Christ. Paul says, woe to me if I do not share the gospel. Woe to me. Who's got something out of this morning, church? I just pray that God has been able to speak to you, that we've been able to just align some stuff in your life. That you, I pray that I've given you something to think about. Because this is Vision Month, where we start to talk about and think about our vision and our mission. We want to see people's lives changed. But we want to see our lives changed. Because we're going to have to give an account for our life. Amen.